0: We are in Acts 11. Everybody having a good day? Yeah? Yeah? Yeah. Sun's out. (laughs) That too? Um, We are in our last week of our pioneer section of Vintage Church. Um, So this morning, my, my desire is to, yes, focus on what I think is one of the most important pioneers of the Vintage Church, but ultimately give us a reminder of all the pioneers that we've hit, and all the pioneers that are in this room. It's every single one of us. So you're going to Acts 11, and uh, today we're going to be hitting a guy named Barnabas. Anybody ever heard of Barnabas? Raise your hand if you've heard of Barnabas. You're familiar with him. Great. Awesome. Awesome. Not to be confused with Barabbas. Um, Barabbas, if you see my son, Dalen, ask him how he knows the difference between Barabbas and Barnabas. It'll be quite entertaining and seemingly inappropriate um, for church. (laughs) Uh, But nonetheless, it's good. All right, so we are at Acts 11, and I want to talk about pioneering, specifically Um, I'm sorry, this mic's killing me. Hang on one second. Hello? Hello? Can you hear me now? All right. So there was a guy who was the ultimate pioneer in modern medicine. Um, any nurses, doctors, medical professionals in the room? One of you. This is not good. If there's a medical emergency, just run out the front door, all right? Um, unless we put all of our trust on you. That's great. Um, anyways, this pioneer of modern medicine was Dr. Henry Judah. Heimlich. Anybody know Henry Judah Heimlich? No? Anybody know who I'm talking about? Sweet. Uh, he came up with the Heimlich maneuver. Anybody familiar with that? The Heimlich maneuver. Man, not manure. <laughs> That's a whole other thing. Uh, Heimlich maneuver. Uh, Dr. Heimlich came up with this. Uh, and he was born, let's check this out. He was born in 1920. And you know when he passed away? December. He was 96 years old. Uh, incredible life of this man. I mean, he's, he's like a modern day, um, or like a real life Forrest Gump. Like I was reading a little bit of his biography and seeing like different parts of his life and like he, all that he's seen and all that he's done and all that he was known for and questioned about. And it was just really fascinating. But ultimately, and as all that's not so much important as the fact that today you and I know him as the guy that came up with the Heimlich maneuver. Someone is choking, they're doing this, their face is red or blue or purple or whatever color, and you are supposed to come behind them, right? And doesn't even matter at that point, I'm sure no one's thinking about how they form their hands, but they, they do this behind the person and they... Ugh, I dread to do this, and so the thing that's caught in there comes out. Everyone knows this, right? In Heimlich, you maybe not known, but this is a guy's name. But here's the fascinating part about Dr. Heimlich. Even though he was the pioneer, he was the pioneer of the most important part of emergency medicine, so when somebody's choking, um, he had actually never performed the Heimlich maneuver himself. Think about this. This guy came up with this amazing theory and practice of what happens when somebody is choking, but he never was in the situation where he could perform it. His whole life. He was 96 years old. When he was 96 years old, his last year of his life, which was 2016, he was in a nursing home. And something happened that was miraculous. Yes. His whole life. He never saved anyone from choking. He's 96, and here's his moment. He's sitting there at a nursing home in Cincinnati, Ohio, and he's sitting there, and this woman motions to the Dr. Heimlich that she's choking. I mean, imagine the comfort and, like, the fear and comfort at the same time, like, in this woman's mind, like, I'm good. Dr. Heimlich's right here. You know the drill, like... Like, this is what's happening, and she's choking, and he steps up at 96 years old in one final act of his life, and he gives this woman the Heimlich maneuver and saves her life. What? You can't make this stuff up. This is amazing. The guy who pioneered up until that point had never actually done what he had invented, what he had propelled into our society. Now, a few months later, sadly, he died at a, in a, a great life, a great age of 96. Incredible, fascinating story. But here's the thing that sticks out to me about, it, about him. He is labeled a pioneer. But the fact that he can't be a pioneer truly until that moment when he actually did the thing he pioneered to do. Think about this. It'd be like um, me being a pioneer of the, of the deepest caves in the world from my computer. Like, I can't do that. I must go there to truly pioneer. To be a true pioneer is to go to the place or do the thing. So Dr. Heimlich couldn't do that. But the guy that we're talking about today, um, the ultimate pioneer of our faith in the vintage church, wasn't just a guy that talked about the mission of Jesus Christ. He lived it. He didn't just live it. He proclaimed it, and he backed it up. He didn't just back it up and live it. He implanted it. He gave it to others through encouragement. This guy, his name, Barnabas. Now, Barnabas was one of the early uh, followers, one of the early, uh, the 70 apostles, the 70 leaders of this vintage church. And he did lots of things. The first thing I want you to see, I know I said we're in Acts 11. Let's go to Acts 4. Um, When he first came on the scene, a guy named Barnabas comes forward in Acts chapter 4, verses 36. Um... This is in the context of like when the church was new and, and everything was growing and everything was happening. There began to be like, and, and if this is the ultimate, the early church right here, there would be, there'd be some needs. Like this person, you know, they had lost their way to, to make a living and, and they needed help with, with such and such and such. And some, someone else heard that need and they knew it was a financial, financial need. So they sold like some extra acreage that they had and they would bring the, the money from that and give it to this person through the church so that, that person's needs can be met and they could provide for their family. And then there would be these needs all over the place to the point where it describes the church as that they didn't have any needy person. They just knew that they were a part of a community that if there was a need that was there, it would be taken care of. It was more than just a financial thing. This was a, a community thing. This was a um, Friendship thing. This was an accountability thing. This was all around prayer. This was all around the, the unity that happens in us following Jesus. So, verse 36, or verse 34, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses, it says that they sold them, and they brought the proceeds of what was sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet. Thus, verse 36, thus, Joseph which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. Let me just back up a second. So a lot of times in, in, in the Acts, uh, the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, a lot of times it'll name these guys. And what's strange to me is sometimes they'll, they'll say their name, and then they'll say like their other name, their surname, and then it'll say like, well, this is what everybody called them. And this is one of those situations where it's a little confusing at first. Joseph was Barnabas's real name. Like, that was his legal name. Um, he was known as Barnabas, but he was later called the Son of Encouragement. That was his nickname. That's what he was known for. That was his claim to fame, was that he was a Son of Encouragement. But he was also a Levite, which meant that he was a helper in the temple, that he was a helper to the ministers that, was, that, was, that were leading the church um, and he was also from Cyprus, which was an island not too far from Israel. It says that Barnabas sold the field that belonged to him, and he brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Why did he do that? Because he heard there was a need. He was, his heart was affected by the needs of the people, but the ultimate mission of the church. Is that any different Now? Like, are there needs in the church? Yeah. Will there always be needs in the church? Absolutely. As long as there are people, there will be needs. Financial. Emotional. On and on and on. Barnabas, before no one, like no one even had heard of him. He was just a guy that showed up to church. He heard about a need, and he pondered what he had, and he sacrificed what he had, and he gave it up, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. It didn't say that he, like, told the newspaper about it, he bought a t-shirt, like, yeah, I used to have a field, then I gave it to Jesus, kind of thing, like, he didn't have anything like that, he just sold this property and he came and he brought it at the apostles' feet. He didn't try to get credit. In contrast, the next chapter talks about Ananias and Sapphira, talks about how they did the same thing, but they weren't completely honest about it. And if you know that story or remember from weeks ago, that doesn't end well for them. But it's contrasted with Barnabas, a guy who is the pioneer of the Vintage Church, who is a pioneer of our faith? Next thing, um, last uh, few weeks we've been hitting uh, Stephen as a pioneer. We've been hi- we've been hitting Saul as a pioneer. We've been hitting Peter as a pioneer. Now, uh, Pastor Cameron last night uh, laid out how. If there was no Barnabas, in a lot of ways, like I'm sure God maybe would have worked in his sovereignty a a different way, but fact being, without Barnabas, there would be no Saul. There would be no Paul. Our Bible may be a lot shorter, (laughs) so to speak. And I'm not stretching God's um, plan or sovereignty in that. I just want you to think about the importance of this humble man, this humble guy, the son of encouragement. Something happened with Saul when he had a radical encounter with God. In chapter 9, verses 26 and 27. I'll go there real quick. Um, and when he saw... Had come to Jerusalem, he tempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him. Hmm. Why? <laughs> like I hope you're putting some pieces together with this. Like that the these pioneers that we talked about, like their stories are are as complex as you can imagine, and their stories don't always line up so perfectly. But they're beyond the a shadow of a doubt. They are intertwined. And so what happened with Saul is that before he had this radical encounter with God, he was a jerk. Like, simply put, it says that Saul ravaged the church. He was a Jewish man that was not all about this Jesus. He was not all about this new move. He was not all about the way that Jesus had had propelled us to freedom, to hope, to forgiveness, to eternal life through, through his sacrifice on the cross. He was not all about that. So he was not all about Peter. He was not all about Stephen to the point when Stephen, if you remember Stephen, we talked about him three or so weeks ago. And that when he was preaching, like proclaiming the love of God and the truth of the gospel, the Jewish like little weasels on the council got so mad that they bum rushed him. They dragged him out of the city. They put him in a hole and it says they took stones and they threw it and they stoned him to death. And even as Stephen's dying, he's saying, Father, forgive them. He's looking up and he's into heaven and he's seeing Jesus. He's Even at the last moment, he's proclaiming the love of God on these people. At the end of the story of Stephen is Saul. He's standing there holding the coats of the guys throwing the stones. He gave the thumbs up. Kill this guy. So now, fast forward time, now you see why the Those early pioneers, those early Christian leaders were a little bit weirded out when they're having a prayer meeting and in walks Saul. Think about this. They were killing, imprisoning, like all the Christians. At this point, James, thrown off the top of the church, lives. The brother of Jesus lives. and says, recant your faith, I cannot, I will not, they club him to death. At this point, two of the prominent leaders in, in this vintage church were murdered because they loved Jesus and they couldn't but com- pro- proclaim the good news. <laughs> and Saul is the leader of all that hate. And you know, here he comes walking in. Have you ever been in this spot? Like, maybe it's a, take your mind off the church for a moment or whatever. Maybe it's a family gathering or some place where like that person walks in that, that um, <laughs> maybe caused great harm to everyone in the room and it's kind of awkward but then there's that guy or that girl who stands up and goes and hugs that person and welcomes them and shows them grace and shows them forgiveness and gives them their seat that was Barnabas Barnabas did that he ran to the door, and he welcomed Saul. Why are they all afraid of him? For they do not believe that he was a disciple. <laughs> so they, que- check this out. So they questioned, they questioned Saul's genuineness. Have you been in church long? Have you ever, has anyone ever questioned your genu- genuine love for God? <laughs> like Anybody? Okay, that's just me. I, I, I remember growing up and getting in trouble or whatever. Like, you did something you shouldn't have done, and they're like, are you saved, son? What? Like, wait a minute. Like, you're genuinely following God, and, like, you mess up. Like, hello, it's, it's part of life. Like, not that we're justifying it, but, like, we make mistakes. We have an advocate to the Father through Jesus Christ. We are forgiven. He covers our sins. He declares us righteous. He declares us, like, completely justified, Right? It's like, what's the deal? This? Oh, I just found out you weren't perfect. <laughs> like, I don't understand this. I don't understand this. And so the picture of the vintage church should be the picture of our church. That, that when, essentially, when someone walks in or someone you see someone at church that does not deserve to be here, but guess what? Who's that Barnabas that's going to get up and give them their seat. Because let's not forget the fact that you were in that spot the week before or ten years ago. Let's not forget that the same darkness that Saul was in, we were in. And we've been brought into the light. Barnabas was the guy that brought him in. Barnabas at that point, Barnabas was the I Am Loved event. Barnabas was, he was the outreach program. He was the, the, the like, the reach through love, through encouragement. So what is encouragement? What is encouragement? Um, <laughs> this is going to blow your mind. Maybe it not, but it blew my mind. Encouragement is a feeling that motivates everything. No minds blown? Yeah. The, the word that sticks out to me about that. Encouragement is the feeling that motivates everything. This is, this is like, this is the part that stuck out to me. Feelings. Whoa. Let's talk about our feelings. So, every guy in this room just checked out. Does God care about your feelings? Guys, come on back in there. Come on. Like, let's focus in. Does God care about our feelings? Absolutely. Have you heard somebody say, Well, it's not all about feelings? You ever heard that? Well, yeah, I would agree. And I'm sure the point of this message or the point of this this guy's life, Barnabas, is not just about feelings. But if he is the son of encouragement, if he is the guy that is known for injecting courage into people's lives, if he can encourage someone, and encouragement is all feelings, think about it. What is encouragement besides feelings? I was like, like, Literally challenging my thought on this. Okay, well, like, okay, well, someone bought me a $200 gift card to the grocery store. That was incredibly encouraging. Well, that was an action, right? But what was the encouragement part? That's just a feeling. They didn't buy you encouragement. They bought you a $200 gift card. Think about it. Encouragement was the response of their action. $200 shows up in the mailbox, says, Hey, I love you. Sweet, yeah. Encouragement happens in that moment because of their action. Our encouragement is feeling. Our feelings do matter. What does Jesus, how does Jesus describe the Spirit of God that's about to be poured out in this world when he leaves? He, (laughs) He calls him the Comforter. We're not talking about a literal, like, bed on your, like, the heavy thing that you can't, not the comfort, like, he is the comforter. But that is the perfect analogy of what, it, what is really happening. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. He is the encourager. He is the one that brings you alongside. And I spent too much on the capital last week on the Greek stuff. But even if you took those two Greek words, they're incredibly similar meaning the depth, the point of it all is encouragement. God does care about our feelings. We can, and we can argue this like all day long, that these, the, the feelings that we have matter. Now we're not, and if it's your first time here, like we don't talk, we're not like that. We're, we're, we, we don't, we're talking about feelings today, but like come back next week and we'll, we'll like, we'll, we'll hit a different thing, all right? We're not like focused on like just how you feel. We don't just want to make you feel good and then make you, ask you to leave. We don't want to ask you, leave. we like you here Never mind. You know what I'm trying to say. Like, <laughs> encouragement matters because our feelings matter. You could take the story. What was Jesus' first miracle? Even though, like, the Baptists in the room, we don't like to talk about this story, but, like, Jesus turned water into wine. Um, why did he do that? I would argue that there was a lot of, like, implications and takeaways from that story, but he did that because he didn't want the hosts of the party to feel like they didn't have enough food or wine. Read it. It's crazy. He cared about feelings in the moment, he cared about what was happening in the moment. Lots of applications in that, but the heart of that was feeling. Why? The, okay, God is love. What does God's love do for you? It makes you feel secure. It makes you feel and know the reality, the cold hard truth that you are forgiven. The cold hard truth that He sent His Son, so that it's not about your performance that we learned last week. It's about His performance on the cross. That you don't got it, but He's got it. Like that's the whole point. But He, what, like if I made my point like that, that God cares how you feel. If God cares how you feel, then why? And and to prove this, He sent like one as one of the first pioneers of the new church. He sent a guy that was going to encourage you, encourage the other disciples. He was the guy that was going to inject courage into their life. Encouragement, feeling that motivates everything. God does care how we feel. So, um, when Okay, let's go to Acts eleven now. Um, Acts eleven. Um, if. If encouragement, I'll come back to that. All right, look at, look at verse 19. This is the church in Antioch. Antioch, Syria, uh, on the border of Syria and Turkey. Now I think it's actually under, uh, or it's considered Turkey, but it's right there on the border. And in this city, in this church, um, these people that had been scattered, why? Because of persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia, and Cyprus, and Antioch. So this is what happened. They, like, I know I'm sharing these stories about James being thrown off the building, uh, clubbed to death, Stephen stoned to death, other Christians being imprisoned um, and killed for their faith. Like, guys, this was not like, a, oh, did you hear what happened to that guy? That's cool. Like, it's just him. It was just an isolated incident. Like I'm, sh- I'm sh- no. This was a major deal. This created refugees immediately. That spread to Phoenicia, to Cyprus, to the island of Cyprus where Barnabas was from, and to this place called Antioch. Because they were scattered, it says that they were speaking the word to no one except Jews. So all of a sudden, what Jesus had said was to go and be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, all of a sudden they they scattered, like they went, but it, like they were quiet about it. Think about that. Like you ever been sent? So it'd be like um, we prayed for Kelly and Kenny. It'd be like them them going to Honduras. and Tigo Sagapa, they get off uh, their plane on the, uh, there, and then instead of looking for the sign that says uh, "missionaries from New York," whatever, they start looking for beach resort. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I'm sure they're there, and I'm sure they're great. There's nothing wrong with vacation, but they're going. They have been sent. They have been commissioned to go, and they went, and they weren't saying anything. They weren't doing anything. Do, do you see what, what's happening here? But, I don't mean to rag on too much, but they were, there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, on Coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, this is where I want you to get it. Focus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. This changes everything. The hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when they came, they saw the grace of God, and he, Barnabas, was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful To the Lord. He encouraged them, same root meaning, to remain faithful to the Lord with a steadfast purpose. For he, who? Barnabas. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Barnabas was a good man. Barnabas was filled with the Holy Spirit. Barnabas was filled with faith. Barnabas was a pioneer that was sent. I grew up where you could see the St. Louis Arch from near my house. And in that region is where Lewis and Clark began their, their expedition and their journey to the western part of the United States. Okay? It's fascinating. And growing up, I just knew that, like, all these streets and community colleges were named after them and all these things, and I had no idea. And, like, it, but I've been imagining through this series, like, what a true pioneer is and what it was for them many years ago as they explored. And obviously, they weren't the first ones out there. Uh, they met some really cool Indians, and, 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 and like, although they claim they're the, yeah, that's a whole other story. But as they went, as a rep- what our culture represents for them as pioneers, they still, they couldn't Google, they couldn't uh, read, they couldn't do anything about what was actually out there. They had to see it for themselves. They had to go. They had to lead the charge. They had to step out when no one had, that they knew had stepped out before. They were the ultimate pioneers. Now I can imagine starting in St. Louis. Like, it's, it's pretty flat. It's pretty predictable. Even through Missouri, you got a little bit of, like, a lot of prairie, a lot of, like, like just kind of like, okay, this is, this is not too bad, bud. Yeah. I'm hungry. You know, like, there's this ease to the ride. But as they got, as they, and they started their journey, they had a plan, and, like, which I, don't, I don't know how that worked without a GPS, but, like, they, they had it planned. And when they hit hard times, when they hit the mountains, can you imagine the feeling of what is next? Have, have you ever been on, a, like, a road trip with someone that you are just getting to know? Um, and, and, like, there's some questionable, like, weather or transportation or... Or like your car's making funny noise or whatever. Like when when you're traveling with a group of people or or just another person and like something kinda goes wrong, like there's two types of people. There's the people that are like, oh, we got this, man. We're good. What noise? You know, and then there's some people that are like, we gotta stop right now, and we gotta we gotta do this, this, and you're like, what are you talking? Like there's this, there's this mix of of what? How are we going to go on? How are we going to continue? And an encouragement is an, or an encourager is a pioneer. That's all he is. A pioneer is someone that's like, I know what is there. Not like Dr. Heimlich, he's not been there before, but a pioneer is someone who's actually been to the land, has spied it out, knows what it's like, can communicate courage to these people so that they can move along. The message of an encourager is someone that's saying it is, it's possible. It is possible. And so last week we said that Peter, like his life motto, was I got this, and you know, and I know that he did not have this. If you know his story, the message of Barnabas's life was it is possible. And so when all these disciples and all these apostles and all these pioneers of the vintage church, of your faith, my faith, the ones that followed the one true God, when they were going, excuse me, when they were marching forward and they were pioneering ahead, discouragement came, mountains came, murder happened, persecution scattered, resources were none, but the but God's hand was all over them. And Barnabas was the voice that reminded them of God's hand. Barnabas was the voice that says, it is possible. You know, and I know, that when we pioneer in our homes, when we pioneer in our church, and our community, you know good and well that it doesn't take long to get discouraged. It doesn't take long to look back and look this way, and look that way, and look ahead, and see everything around you that seems difficult and impossible. And I don't know what kind of conversations they had, but I have this feeling that the constant like attitude of Barnabas was, we got this through the Lord. His hand is on us. It is possible. We must continue on. We must pioneer ahead. That was his message. And so, for Lewis and Clark back to their story. Imagine if you've been on a, a road trip with someone, and, and they're trying to, like, have this discussion, essentially, in the, around the campfire, like, is this, is this possible? Is this possible? And there's this talk, like, I don't know, maybe we should turn back, or maybe this is the end, maybe the mountains just drop off, and, like, um, <laughs> um, sorry, I lost my train of thought because of, um, this guy over here. Um, they questioned whether this was possible. They questioned whether they could go on. Now, as that discussion's happening essentially around the campfire, like I I would imagine that, of course, they they had baked beans they put in the fire, the can, right? Like they're they're filling their bellies, their nourishment, and and the horses over there, and they're just like ready for the next day. And I imagine as this discussion's happening, one of these pioneers couldn't sleep. Because in his mind, he's like, we, we, we can't quit. We got to go on. Everybody's discouraged. Everyone's tired. They're talking about going back. This ain't happening. And it's like he can't sleep. So he gets up in the night by himself. And he begins the journey up the mountain. And he goes. And he goes well into the night. Well into the night. And the early morning. He reaches the top of this mountain. And he doesn't just see the top of the mountain. He sees the horizon ahead. He sees that there is a possibility that they can go on. And all he does when everybody else is waking up in the morning and that dude, that pioneer of courage is gone, they're wondering where he's at. And here he comes down the mountain. And what is his voice? What is his message to everyone that's just waking up? Guys, it is possible. That's what a pioneer is. That's what an encourager is. That's who Barnabas was. He was a man filled with the Holy Spirit. He was a man filled with faith. And he was sent to Antioch sent to so many places, even in chapter 12, verses uh, 25 through chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. It talks about the first missionary journey. You look at, I mean, I don't know if you have a Bible that has this, all the maps in the back. Um, Paul's missionary journeys, like these, these were absolutely essential to us even existing like with our faith, like it was a part Of the journey but you know who went on the first missionary journey Barnabas and when Saul's name was changed to Paul a radical transformation that we've hit a couple weeks ago what happened was talked over and over about Barnabas and Paul Barnabas and Paul Barnabas led that but as he was seeing the calling on Paul's life and as he was seeing the giftings that Paul had they were completely different than Barnabas it didn't make him discouraged it actually was a part of his encouragement. Like he invested in Paul, to the point when Paul rose to be a, a more prevalent like, uh, leader that, 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 that went on more journeys and more journeys and wrote most of the New Testament that you hold in your hands. There's never this moment of Barnabas like getting awkward about it, because he knows that that encouragement had everything to do with his ministry. We were like, wait a minute. Well, Barnabas, like, he kind of stepped back. What happened? I, I, I think we'll get to the, the part how they split and the details of, but you got to first understand that, like, Barnabas believed with all his heart that to, um, <laughs> to truly encourage and to truly be a pioneer, he had to step back. See, last week we talked about Peter and how he stepped back. He didn't just step back, he went back to who he was. But when Barnabas stepped back, he actually, all he was doing was taking the background. And he was way okay with that. Sometimes the most encouraging thing we can do is step back. Sometimes the most life-giving thing that we can do as a follower of Jesus is to not say anything. Sometimes. And so I think for Barnabas, this was not about his ego. This was not about him saying, I've got to say something, and that is my opportunity. That that is all about him. And I think if he did that, I think the hand of the Lord, maybe it would would have been removed. But in that moment, Barnabas, he saw that it was about God and not him. He didn't need to be the tip of the spear. He didn't need to be the driver of it all. He just wanted to serve because that's how he started. He started, he gave, he sold his property, and he gave the gift to the church to meet the need. He didn't have a title then. He he didn't have, nobody knew him. He, he wasn't at the forefront of what was happening. He was no, he was pioneer, pioneering before he was even called a pioneer. He was breathing life into people and saying, it is possible. We got to continue on. We got to pioneer on before he even stepped into that role. Now, uh later we learn that in the next few chapters, um, that God's hand was on this early church. And God's hand was on the ministry of Barnabas. And God's hand was on the ministry of Paul and many others. But it talks about how um, Paul and Barnabas had a uh, sharp disagreement. (laughs) Have you ever had a sharp disagreement with someone? Um, Here's how to handle it. How they did. It says that, that um, John Mark uh, had come to help them on one of their, their journeys and how he left early. He flaked out. He did something that made Paul upset. He couldn't believe that John Mark, would just, he was along with us and all of a sudden he wasn't anymore. And, and we don't know why. It doesn't tell us a whole lot about that story but that upset Paul implanted in Paul's head that all of a sudden John Mark coming in the building in the back, like all of a sudden he's not welcome. Paul forgot for a moment, like even Paul made a mistake in this moment to like, ah, that's John Mark. I'm not sure about this. And they wanted to go on another missionary journey and, and, and Barnabas wanted to bring John Mark. Now part of this, and, and, and Paul's like, no, uh-uh, I'm not going. He's not coming with us. And Barnabas is like, whatever, dude. Like, we're, we're going. That's what, he's coming with us. And that's what they disagreed on. And I don't think that there was drama. I don't think that there was, there was hateful words. I don't. I just think they simply, did, they agreed to disagree. And they, they agreed to go separate ways. And they dealt with it in a godly way. How, how do we know this? Because you look at the rest of the story. You look at the rest of their journeys. And Paul took a guy named Silas and John Mark and Barnabas who were actually cousins cuz you got to stick up for blood right even your cousins they went on a journey on their own now here's what i'm seeing like yeah they had this sharp disagreement the relationship was challenged and they dealt with they they agreed to disagree and they dealt with it in a godly way and they went two different directions Two different teams, double the amount of people reached for the gospel. Win. Win. Sometimes pioneering (laughs) is dealing with conflict well. Think about this, guys. Think about the conflicts in your life with your mom, your dad, your brothers, your sisters, your cousins, your coworkers, your neighbors. The guy in front of you who's a horrible driver person three rows in front of you think about these these personal relationships that you have what if what if God's calling you to pioneer not the mountain He's not asking you to start in St. Louis and go see what's out there. He's not asking you to go to Antioch and to begin to be this, like, proclaimer of the gospel. Maybe he's not calling you to start a church. Maybe he's not calling you to have this, this, this family or this to be in this spot where you have all these, like, moving parts in your lives. And, and it can just bring you to a spot where you can bring so much obvious glory to God. Maybe he's actually in this moment, in this day, in this very second, he's calling you to fix and forgive and to forget and to move on and to love that person and to show grace to that person that's deeply wounded you. Or maybe you need to get off your rear end and you need to get on the phone and you need to apologize for that thing you did that's eating you up. You hurt that person. And you think because you don't see them anymore or you think that because all of a sudden like you're, like you're clear, everything's in the clear, that everything's fine. It's not. Maybe they're discouraged and you have the key to encourage them through your humility and say, you know what? I may have been 5% of the problem. Well, don't say that. I may have been a part of the problem. I'm sorry. I reacted wrong. I said wrong. I did wrong. I should have. I should have. I should have. And I'm sorry and I'm owning it. Maybe that completely unlocks a missionary journey in their life. And maybe you're here today and somebody has done that for you, and like they've hurt you or they put you in a spot or there's tension. <laughs> Set yourself free from that. Be encouraged. It is possible. That is the message of Barnabas. I can guarantee you that he did a lot of like interpersonal tension restoring between even the leaders of the gospel. Hey, did you guys hear a couple years ago what happened with Paul and Barnabas? Did you hear what happened with them? They split up, right? Like they went two different ways. Yeah, but bro, do you know the whole story? Like, they actually dealt with it in a godly, in a godly way. And I, I've been around Barnabas a ton. He, he's got nothing but amazing things to say about Paul. And in fact, later on, it talks about how Paul's got nothing but positive things to say about Barnabas. See, we have this all wrong. Like, sometimes we, we think that pioneering for the vintage church, pioneering for conduit church in our home, our, our church, and in our community, that it's all about this big picture or organization. No, it's about relationships. It's about the very people that we see every day. It's the very people that we don't want to see every day. Who is he asking you to show love to in this moment? Who is he asking you to forgive, to make it right with in this moment? I want to encourage you to do that. I want to challenge you to do that. Quickly, 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. 2 Corinthians, chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter one, verse three and four. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and of God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. This is the picture. You once were Saul walking in the back of the church. And a guy named Barnabas got up, welcomed you, made you coffee, invited you to lunch after church, and gave you his seat. Three weeks later, in walks what you would perceive as a Saul, and you sit there quietly. We are to give them what has been freely been given to us. Forgiveness, love, grace, acceptance. Acceptance. Mercy. This is the picture of the gospel. When Barnabas and Saul, or Paul, when Peter, when all these guys, Silas, when they would go to these new cities, these new towns on their, their missionary journey, they weren't going there because they were like, alright guys, we just want to give you an update. Uh, let's call this business meeting to an order. Uh, this is how you're doing in your church finances, uh, Church of Antioch looks like uh, whoa I'm not even going to read that out loud because that's not good like they, they didn't go through the the like the issues and the like the things about the church of church growth they stood in a pulpit and they proclaimed the love of Jesus the reality of the mercy of God in their life and they propelled them to Personal relationship with one another in the same way that God has given His personal relationship with us through the cross, through the resurrection, through receiving us. The ultimate person that got up from their seat and welcomed us in the back, the ultimate person that welcomed us in the back was Jesus. And He gave us His seat. He gave us His seat. And He gave us more than His seat, He gave us in his, his inheritance. He gave us all we would ever need and want. I think the hardest job in the whole world is to encourage someone when you're not encouraged. Let me say that again. I think the hardest job in the whole world is to encourage someone else without yourself being encouraged. And so today is a call for you to be encouraged to be filled with the message of hope of Jesus Christ and faith in Him and forgiveness by Him and resurrection given by Him. He is the one that can give you what you need and encouragement so that that can overflow to those next to you. Moms, you can't show this to your children unless you have it. So today for you moms is the day that you know that God has given you all that you need. You are accepted. You are loved. You are beautiful. You are completely enough in his eyes. So that you can hold that baby. You can do that thing. That you can pioneer on in your home, at your work. Whatever you moms do. Like trying to hold it all together as a mom. Like how you do that is only because you have what God has given you. Dads. Man. Man. How do you do it? Yeah, you clock in. Yeah, you clock out. But your heart is so not sensitive to the things of God and he wants to tell you today that you are enough. That the job you have done through him is enough. That you are forgiven. That you can come out of hiding. That he can receive you for all you are. And that you can come in to your life. You can see their mom, you can see your kids and you can love them in a way that completely frees them because you're free that completely encourages them because you're encouraged listen men, women boys, girls you can't give those kids at school, you can't give them something you don't have if you're filled by faith, if you're filled with the love of God and then God's voice to you is that it is possible. Let's continue on then. This was the message to the church of Antioch through Barnabas. Guys, listen. And church of Antioch, like, we got to pioneer on. We got, don't get discouraged. Don't get down. Press on. Because, like, like, you know what happened? When you were, were still sleeping, I climbed the mountain and I saw to the top. And I know that it is possible. And I'm coming back down. I didn't stay up there. And I was like, y'all know, like, hey, y'all, come on up. I already came up once. I'm just waiting for you. No, I came down and I got you. And I'll show you which way I went. And I'll show you which way works. That is what Jesus did. He gave us all we need. That's why it's all about Jesus. That's why we worship Him. He's got what we need, so that we can freely give it. To everyone around us, would you stand?